I'm Miranda Rennie, and you're listening to OT Uncorked, where we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy and a bottle of wine. On this episode, you'll hear from Dr. Jenna Yeager, an OT who is really leaning into the role of OT in addressing the opioid addiction epidemic. Jenna's clinical and research experience centers on psychosocial well-being, and she studies a range of populations from veterans to expecting moms to people experiencing addiction and so many other people. In this episode, Jenna shares some of the next steps for OTs who want to make an impact on this crisis right where they are right now, no matter what population or setting they work in. Jenna and I couldn't resist sitting on the back porch to enjoy this beautiful weather and our 2016 Echo Domani Pinot Grigio for our talk. So you may hear some birds chiming into the conversation too. Hot Topics in Occupational Therapy, and a Bottle of Wine. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. I'm here with special guest, Dr. Jenna Yeager. Thanks for joining me, Jenna. Thanks, Miranda. I'm looking forward to it. Jenna, give us a brief introduction about who you are and what you do. Okay, so, well, you and I met in my role as an associate professor in the Department of Occupational Therapy and Occupational Science at Towson University. And so I've been teaching there for, believe it or not, over 20 years, and my practice area has been in mental health Mm -hmm. um, because my clinical practice was in mental health as well. So when I graduated from OT school, also at Towson, my first job was in inpatient psychiatry, Mm -hmm. which I loved and stayed with it. Um, And even after I got my faculty job, I continued to do clinical practice until about a year and a half ago. Um, for DM work and mental health. So, so that's why. And so in this episode, Jenna and I are uncorking a bottle of Pinot Grigio and a hot topic, troubling health providers, politicians, community members, and everyone in between. Today, we're talking about the opioid crisis. And Jenna, you have an interesting role in the healthcare community's response to it. Uh, tell us about that. Right, and so I guess I just want to say that I'm really glad you chose this as a topic to focus on because I think it really is a hot topic. Um, Interestingly, opioid abuse is not a new issue, but it does seem that it's been dramatically on the rise in the last, I don't know, last couple of years for a number of different reasons. And I think a lot of OT professionals are really feeling kind of unprepared for a variety of reasons to deal with it. So there's just been a lot, a lot of interest. Um, and because of that interest and many questions that you know, OT practitioners had, I guess AOTA really felt that it was their obligation to the membership that they start to put together some resources and, and a response mm. to really support practitioners because so many of us are working in practice areas where our clients potentially or do have opioid abuse. So Mm -hmm. um, the representative assembly, the RA of AOTA, asked that they develop a, I guess, a task force of content experts. (laughs) So I'm supposed to be a content expert. (laughs) And uh, I was selected to serve on this small group of OTs from across the country, really. And we all have some sort of background. relevant to dealing with people with 
either substance abuse issues and or mental health or chronic pain. And our job, we were charged by the RA with putting together some recommendations for mm -hmm. what AOTA should do moving forward to, to, again, help practitioners to, and not just practitioners, but also those of us that are working in, in um, programs, educating OTs, and what is it that we really need to do right now. So, so anyway, I've been serving on that task force for the last year, and it's been really, really interesting and exciting. And there's been a lot of interest that we've been hearing from AOTA members, and my gosh, I've had a couple interviews from our students in mm -hmm. our program. I think people are really starting to see in the media that mm -hmm. it's really, it is a hot topic. It's a hot button issue and, and something that really we, we can't put off addressing it any, any longer. Something too that I think is worrying practitioners from what I understand is that it's not just people who have had joint replacements or people with other chronic pain who are at risk. So I guess what other populations are we aware of that are at particular risk aside from these sort of stereotyped populations? So that's one of the things that really makes it such an important issue right now is that as we started to look into it over the last year in the, in the, the ad hoc committee, and I guess I'm learning for myself that opioid abuse really touches so many different segments of the population. So as a mental health OT, I actually think I had the the disillusion that that was my practice area, that we were the ones in mental health and psychosocial OT, we'd be the ones dealing with substance abuse issues mm -hmm. and opioid abuse. But you know, really, if you think about it, it, it is attached a lot to, to chronic pain. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the reason that many people get started on opioids and across age groups. I mean, really from, you know, we know that there's practically a, an epidemic of, of young people, you know, teenagers mm -hmm. were finding out now in the media that have injuries a lot of times from sports and they get prescribed something and the next thing you know they're abusing misusing opioids and then people all through the different ages into the elderly mm -hmm. um, again dealing with physical issues um, certainly people who are dealing with mental health and psychosocial issues can get engaged with opioid abuse there's the family members mm -hmm. of those people there are the children of parents and grandparents and family members who are using opioids. So I guess we really are definitely finding out that it spans all practice areas, all age groups, and really everyone in our profession needs to understand and be prepared to deal with opioid abuse. And so I think a lot of therapists are aware this is an issue and want to do their part, want to support their clients. We're a holistic profession. They want to acknowledge the psychosocial issues. They want to acknowledge the addiction. But how do they go about doing that when opioid addiction is not, or abuse is not the reason for referral? Kind of what's our role in that? So that's a really, really great question. And I think you've put your finger on one of the, the challenges. And this isn't a challenge in occupational therapy. <laughs> Ever since I've been practicing, unfortunately, for a number of reasons, um, our practice kind of fragmented and maybe back in the 80s or mm -hmm. whatever, I think Keel Hoffner talked about this and said that partly with the advent of the medical model and with specialization and people getting certification in hand therapy and other things, you know, our, our practice became in a way really less holistic. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we really moved away from the roots of occupational therapy, which were looking at the whole person. And people mm -hmm. began to see themselves as either a FISD is OT mm -hmm 
for a mental health OT. And I know that's how it was when I went to school. And when you're graduating and getting a job, people would say, are you going to go into peds or mental health or phys dis? So that fragmenting of our profession has left people who work in physical disabilities, if you're not working in mental health, I think a lot of times you wonder how you're even going to have the opportunity to address any psychosocial issues, including drug abuse. So I haven't worked in physical disabilities practice settings, but of course I've worked recently in hospital-based psychiatry and I know the pressure for productivity and you know getting um, the units that you need to generate on a certain day to address the things that are your primary goal. So I can really understand why working in physical disabilities, occupational therapy, you wonder, how am I going to work into this conversation mm-hmm. asking about, um, you know, the psychosocial issues my client may be dealing with, including opioid abuse. So I think that the, the, the foundational problem of really addressing our clients holistically in different practice sessions, um, practice areas, I think that's there in a bigger way than even just dealing with opioid abuse. And I think opioid abuse just really brings that to light. Mm-hmm. And so FISDUS, OTs, you know, I'll talk to them and say, well, what are you doing? And they say, well, how am I going to work that into the evaluation that I'm supposed to be conducting and the treatment that I'm supposed to be giving in that setting? So I think a lot of people just don't really understand how it fits um, with their providing of care. And I guess maybe the managers, you know, in those settings need to, to think about how they're structuring what the mission is, you know, and, and what kind mm-hmm. of OT they're expecting us to provide. But I think it's a, it's a larger problem, really. That's a really good point, and you're bringing up lots of other hot topics that I can address in future episodes, mm-hmm. too, just with productivity and the effect that has right. on our practice. And you make really good points about, about it. And reimbursement, too, and reimbursement. not to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. I think that we're used to billing certain codes in mm-hmm. certain settings. And then if you do spend a significant amount of time assessing or discussing or managing or coming up with interventions or coping strategies to address opioid abuse and then you look at the list of billing codes that you have that you use on a daily basis you say well how does this even fit into what I'm supposed to be you know billing Absolutely. for at the end of the day and it's I think it's a challenge on that note do you think that we have a role in the screening process is this something we need to yield to other professions for you know I'm just thinking of, of OTs in those practice areas where it's very productivity driven but they're encountering clients that they suspect, for some reason, might have an opioid addiction or might be struggling with abuse. And so what is our role in that? What can they do practically in that setting? So I can tell you one thing that I'm really passionate about, and I'm, I'm not the only one, but I'm, I'm really passionate about this retaining this idea that we do treat our clients holistically looking at all the dimensions of well-being, the psychosocial and the physical disabilities and everything else. You know, I feel very passionate about that. But I actually think that as a profession, I think we all do. I think that's why we chose to become occupational therapists, is the unique aspect of our profession is that we do want to look at occupational performance and everything that affects it, contextual, environmental, and person factors that affect occupational performance. So I feel passionate about that, and I think everyone feels passionate about that. Um, And I think that's what we can use kind of moving forward is to use that overall framework. I want to treat my my clients holistically, including 
taking a look at opioid abuse or anything else that's impacting them. Now you asked specifically about screening. So this has been a topic of discussion in that um, task force that I'm a member of and there definitely are some screening tools that are being recommended to the entire treatment team, right? Mm -hmm. And so just like any other diagnosis that we treat, we're part of a treatment team. Mm -hmm. You know, as OTs, honestly, I don't necessarily feel that our role has ever really been to diagnose. Right. You know, the treatment teams that I've been working on, you know, that wasn't necessarily my role. Um, however, it's absolutely my role to assess anything, again, that's impacting occupational performance. So I have seen over the years that I've practiced that we do sometimes use a screening tool even the mini mental status exam. Okay, this was not something, it's not an OT tool. It wasn't originally designed for occupational therapists to use that tool, but we were there and available on the treatment team to administer the mini mental status exam as some sort of a screening of cognitive function. So I think in some settings that the OT may be the person on the treatment team to say, hey, you know, why not incorporate some sort of a screening for opioid abuse, uh, other substance abuse, even alcohol abuse, why not incorporate that into our already holistic assessment of all the factors that are affecting this person's occupational participation? So that's kind of how I feel about screening. I feel like it's a part of what we might offer, but I, I always want to remind everyone that from my view, not to maybe get distracted about that, but remind ourselves that it's not the opioid abuse. That's not what we're treating as OTs, in, in my view. What we're really treating is the occupational performance that opioid abuse is one factor that mm. impacts that. So is there anything listeners and I can be on the lookout for as far as publication, reports, or information from the AOTA task force? So we, we completed our charge over a few months um, in the past year of coming up with what we thought was an action plan. And so the task force then presented the action plan to the RA and then that was presented to AOTA. And we really made a series of recommendations about what we thought should happen now um, to, again, really support the profession for dealing with opioid abuse. So within our recommendations, one of the things was educating both current OTs, right, they're already out there practicing, and all of a sudden the opioid epidemic like precipitously increased the number of people we're seeing with this. So we need to educate practitioners who are already out there, right? So that's one recommendation. Along with educating practitioners, of course, we had recommendations for including in the curriculum um, content when you're in school, you mm. know, regarding opioids and um, the factors that could lead to opioid abuse helping to uh, you know, educate practitioners about ways to support people in preventing mm -hmm. even getting involved in opioid abuse in the first place. So we had some recommendations about that. So are there articles that we can write that can be put into journals like OT Practice in addition to evidence-based, research-based articles that we can also publish in our other peer-reviewed journals? But, you know, clinicians, practitioners need strategies, like on the ground, what am I going to do mm -hmm. right now? Help me understand this problem. So we recommended publications and workshops, both at the national level 
and also at the state level. Um, we then actually did uh, have some of those workshops at AOTA this past year, which, you know, AOTA really is the one place where we can kind of reach a lot of the membership at one time. And a couple people on the task force gave workshops. There was even an institute about how to address opioid addiction. Um, one of my colleagues on the task force and myself had a, um, it was called Conversations That Matter at AOTA, which is kind of an impromptu kind of roundtable discussion where um, OTs could come and talk about opioid addiction, like what were their concerns and, and uh, questions about that. So um, we, and we found out some interesting stuff there that I'll come back to in a minute. So I guess dissemination of information for practitioners, but also another big recommendation that we had was that occupational therapy get a role at the table in some of the policy-making organizations, right? So we really felt that we need to step outside of our profession and be in you know, legislative, political, financial, other venues where healthcare professionals and administrators are coming up with a broader global community-based response to opioid addiction. Well, OT needs to be there too. So we had some suggestions about putting some people forward to be on you know, boards and other organizations that could really attack the program more at that community-based level. Like OT has the potential to make changes beyond just the individual or the group or the smaller community that we're treating, right? Why not look at really making a difference at the policy level? So those were some of our recommendations too. Um, we also came up with a list of resources that we are going to make available on um, uh, through the AOTA website, we are um, a couple different venues or ways that you can make a fact sheet, a, a list of electronic and print resources, mm. you know, a place for practitioners to go to AOTA website and then see, you know, a section of that that they can go and get some resources to help them deal with whatever um, in the population community that they're addressing. So a list of resources. I think that captures a lot of what the, uh, the ad hoc committee said. I wanted to come back to something that came up in our conversations that matter this year at AOTA. Mm -hmm. So I was really, first of all, my colleague and I were overwhelmed at the number of people who came to this little talk that we thought we'd have 25 people at AOTA come to this round table talk. You had over 100, right? At least. We had over 125 people oh come. Goodness. I mean, people kept coming in. And so I had a survey that I was going to give out to the attendees, asking them, how prepared do you feel to treat opioid abuse? Uh, what would you like in terms of additional resources? Well, I think I made, I don't know, did I make like 40 copies or something? And that was being really generous. So people are flooding in and they're, you know, flocking to the space. And my, my colleague, Amy Matilia from Duquesne, we were doing this together. We're like, oh my gosh, we need more copies of the survey. <laughs> so anyway, we had this really great, energizing, interesting conversation with this 125 people <laughs> who found their way to our, our conversation um, at AOTA. And what I wanted to say was a couple things came out of that that I thought were really interesting. One, many OTs were saying, they would sort of stand up and they would say, we feel like this is a really big problem and practice area and I just don't know what to do. So I think OTs were feeling that they just didn't have the tools, they didn't have the knowledge, you know, what can we do to address this problem? 
And, you know, we responded to that by reminding them, and I think this is really important. What I said in response was, you know how to be an OT, right? So take what you've already learned about occupational therapy, the same models, frameworks, PEO, MOHO, EHP, whatever you're using, use that as a model to look at this person who has opioid abuse and a, and a bunch of other things, right? So remember what we do. We use occupation-based assessments. Continue to use them. And opioid abuse, it is tragic. It is tragic. But it's one piece of a person that you already have the tools and the knowledge and the skills to treat people. Do we need to learn more about opioids? Absolutely. You know, everyone needs to understand that the course from starting to take that you know, what are the factors that lead someone to become so severely dependent on it? What are some alternatives that, okay, so OTs, we really do know about coping skills, mm-hmm. right? So we do have the opportunity to say, hey, you know, prevention is one way that we can help our clients in terms of opioid addiction. What, what about finding some strategies to manage your pain without having to resort to those if possible? And there's some really, really interesting research about alternative strategies, cognitive behavior therapy strategies, holistic things, acupuncture. I mean, I've been really seeing some articles and some evidence come out that we can help put together and communicate to our clients that there's some other alternatives um, for prevention and also trying to wean yourself off or even get off of opioids altogether. So I think my point was that you know, I heard people loud and clear saying, we don't know what to do. And I guess I really wanted to say that, you know, you do. You, you need to do some reading. You need to read some articles. And then you need to, to incorporate education about those types of drugs and what they do to people. And work that in to what you already know about what OTs do. Yeah, that's great. And I love what you said about prevention, too, because I think it's such a reactionary yeah. approach right now. Uh, we know it's an issue, and when we see it, we want to react, but we can really support clients in understanding the effect of opioids. And despite it being a crisis, I'm not sure everyone really knows the severity of the side effects, and if it's being prescribed to them by a doctor uh, that they respect and are listening to, I don't know if they're always getting the full picture of what this could look like in their lives. And so I'm excited to see these uh, publications that are coming out, these reports, all these resources online. Uh, And it's really cool you are looking at the academic programs as well. I think it's really important for students to leave feeling somewhat more prepared to uh, support people with opioid abuse. Until that point, until the task force uh, puts together this set of resources, are there any resources now for listeners who want to be more informed about opioid opioid addiction, you know, where can we direct them right now? Mm-hmm. Gosh, I wish I had my list of resources in front of me because <laughs> I do. There are some print articles that, that you could look for. Not a ton, but there are some. I can tell you off the top of my head that Donna Costa, who was, is the, the, I guess, the chairperson of this mm-hmm. ad hoc committee, I know she wrote an article for um, OT practice. I think it may be a couple years old now, but it was a very, very helpful um, strategies and information about occupational therapy addressing uh, opioid abuse. And I can't remember if it was broader substance abuse or not, but that article was really, really helpful for me. And then I went to the the reference citations that she had in that article, and that kind of helped me branch out and look at a couple other 
articles in the OT publications. There's not a lot, but this is coming, I can say, very soon. You know, within a matter of months, we will have these resources on the AOTA website. I know that I've already submitted to present AOTA on this topic, and I think my colleagues, a number of my colleagues, are going to be doing the same. I guess one other thing I wanted to say that came out of that conversations mm -hmm. that matter, in addition to people saying they didn't know what to do, something else that happened was a number of people stood up and shared about really cool programs that they were already a part of. I remember one in particular. There was an OT who was working in a, a residential rehab, and it was a kind of holistic lifestyle approach to helping people to get off of opioids and maybe other drugs. I was really interested with what she had to say because OT has not typically been part of these recovery programs, and I've always thought that that was a missed opportunity. Um, I really understand 12-step recovery and I understand peer-led recovery programs but I've always felt that as OTs we are the profession most comfortable with skilled and interested in sort of this holistic lifestyle redesign including coping skills thing and it just felt to me that that was the perfect thing to add to these recovery programs including the residential ones so I'm, some OTs were sharing with us that they were already doing these things. And I was saying, oh my gosh, please present next year at AOTA. Like the model of what you're doing is really great. And a lot of people would really love to hear about that because then that gives them an idea of something they can duplicate um, later on. So I guess I just wanted to share that there are some neat things going on, but we need to kind of empower practitioners to feel more confident maybe submitting a presentation either to their state conference or, you know, even to AOTA because people are very interested. You'll, they'll be like me. People will be in standing room only in their mm -hmm. session if they do this, I think. That's really good encouragement for the listeners who know they have something to contribute but don't necessarily realize the value of that mm -hmm. and that all of us coming together and sharing experiences and talking about what has worked for our clients. I think that's really important. Yeah, I guess I almost even want to reiterate it. I, again, here's another thing I'm passionate about, right? <laughs> so again, having worked with, even though this the opioid abuse is just coming to light um, more recently in terms of the significance of it, I have been working with substance abusers my entire career, and I have always felt that you really, the most effective approaches are taking a look at the way that person lives every aspect of their life and really intervening at that level and empowering people to make you know, good, healthy lifestyle choices across the board. And I just feel so strongly that OT is such an important, I mean, I feel like we're the most important um, you know, member of the treatment team to help clients really do the things they need to do to construct a life that will help them to you know, create and maintain sobriety. It's really, really hard. I have watched, you know, personally, as well as professionally, personally, I mean, maybe we all have, you know, had someone in our lives that was touched by addiction in one way or the other, and I know how um, disruptive it can be, and maybe that's why I feel so strongly that, you know, we just have so much to bring to the table if we start to see ourselves as, you know, key, key people on the treatment team to address opioid addiction and other substance use disorders.
This is just the beginning of OT's role in the opioid crisis, and we need to continue to prepare ourselves to meet the complex needs of the people we serve. So thank you, Jenna, for uncorking this important issue with me and the listeners. Thanks, Miranda. This has been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of OT Uncorked. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. Today's featured wine was a 2016 Echo Domani Pinot Grigio. Now, even though I'm a wino, I'm pretty picky when it comes to whites, but this Pinot is light and refreshing and a really nice balance of sweet and dry, which was perfect for today's weather on a beautiful spring day. It's exactly what we wanted. But let me know what you think about our wine choice by visiting our website at otuncork.com. In this episode, Jenna and I talked about a lot of resources that are now available for OTs interested in the topic of opioid addiction and the role of OT. To read any of the resources mentioned during this episode, visit our website, otuncorked.com, and click on the resource blog tab. There, you'll find information about all of our past episodes and other relevant practice-related resources. And I invite you to leave a comment if you'd like. That way you can join in the conversation and share other resources and ideas we didn't talk about on the show. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Cheers.